You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to your Valentine's Views podcast for Friday, December 9th. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube, and subscribe wherever you're listening to us across the uh, Big Blue View Radio Network, wherever you uh, listen to podcasts. All right, we are a couple days away from Giants versus Eagles, week 14 always a a game that gets everybody fired up obviously a, a big game for the giants who will be an underdog this sunday at metlife stadium against the 11 and 1 juggernaut that is the uh, 2022 philadelphia eagles and here to help me uh break down this uh, this weekend's game on a, a crossover edition of the podcast today is brandon lee gouton of Bleeding Green Nation, Brandon. Uh, how you doing? I, I see that. I see that smile on your face, and <laughs> and, and, and uh, you guys, Eagles fans, definitely have a lot to smile about this year. Yeah, they do. Like you said, they're eleven and one, and they're coming off their arguably best win, most complete win over the season. All the talk was, oh, the Titans are going to come in, and it's going to be a tough game. They're going to muck it up, take the points. The Titans might not win, but they're definitely going to cover. And the Eagles just beat them thoroughly. So uh, the Eagles are certainly flying high right now well you know congratulations you guys do have a terrific team this year I think I think we all knew entering 2022 that that the Eagles had loaded up they had brought in AJ Brown in the offseason they had picked up James Bradbury they 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 made a bunch of of other moves You, you had a couple of first round draft picks I think if I remember correctly but uh we knew that the Eagles would be good. We knew that they would be the the favorite in the NFC East. You know, sorry, Dallas fans. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, not sorry because I'm never sorry when Dallas loses. But but Same. anyway, um, we knew that the Eagles would be good. As you've watched it unfold this year, are you a little bit surprised that it's been this good? Yes, I am from the standpoint, too, of typically, historically, and this is something that Jason Kelsey even really admitted before the season, when the Eagles are expected to be good, they're, they're not. They disappoint more often than not. And when they're expected to be not so good, they tend to overachieve. That was very much the case last year when they ended up getting a wild card spot uh, coming off, you know, a 4-11-1 uh, or whatever it was season in 2020, really bad year and Doug Peterson got fired and everything Uh, Carson Wentz got traded so uh, a little bit of a different uh, path from the usual script and certainly you know I think you looked at the schedule everyone looked at the schedule Uh, 
when it, when it was released and it's like man this is pretty favorable they're probably going to get to double digit like but like everyone's saying like 10 11 and they're already at 11 mm-hmm. <laughs> through their first 12 games so certainly that well was a surprise you know i think there was optimism about relatively about jalen hurts uh, how he looked in training camp and everything but i didn't think i saw a night and day difference from him in practices over the summer and we're clearly seeing that difference in the real games this season and, you know, I mean, there's a very strong case that he is the MVP at this point. And I don't think even his most optimistic uh, supporters could really, like, say that was a likely outcome. So, yeah, I mean, there, certainly expectations were high. Everyone thought they're going to be good. But I don't think anyone really saw them being 11-1 good. No, you know, it's funny. Let's let's talk about Jalen Hurts a little bit because I think when you when you look at Eagles' surprises – I think that he's the biggest difference maker. I mean, he was the wild card sort of entering the season. And I was thinking about this today. The uh, the path that that most NFL teams would love to follow, try to follow if they can, if they can at all, is get that rookie quarterback, or you know, get that quarterback on his rookie contract where you've got that four-year window. If he's a first-round pick who you choose to use the fifth-year option, you've got a five-year window where that guy's not costing you a heck of a lot of money. Um, In the case of the Eagles, not only do they have that quarterback on the rookie contract, but they have that quarterback on a second-round draft pick rookie contract. Mm. So they have that quarterback on an insanely inexpensive contract which might be a lot of the reason why they've been able to go out and get James Bradbury and why they've been able to go out and get A.J. Brown and why they've been able to bring in Linval Joseph and Nanamakin Sue during the season. So just, I mean, it's amazing to me. Nobody obviously saw this coming from, from Jalen Hurts. He was, he was drafted in the second round. Nobody thought this was going to happen. And we saw last year that, teams were trying to force him to pass the ball, make him run, make the Eagles run, try to, you know, or, or make, try to stop the run. But what, what has happened to him this year? I mean, I mean, he, he couldn't keep the job at Alabama Mm -hmm. and second round pick. Nobody saw this coming. I mean, you saw the physical, some physical ability, but, but nobody saw this. So what what's been the what's been the thing? I mean, what are you seeing through these twelve games? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was something that teams should really kick themselves for missing on from a standpoint of like this isn't there's not a big precedent for the kind of improvement I think that Jalen Hurts has shown. Everyone wanted to talk about Josh Allen in the offseason, and I was quick to downplay that because of what I just said. I don't think that is the normal path for young quarterbacks. They don't just take this massive MVP kind of leap, uh, especially in year three. Now, what the, especially what Jalen, as a second round pick, especially the second round pick. Right. And also to me, the book on Josh Allen coming in the NFL, he'd only played like 20 something games or whatever at Wyoming, not even, you know, Alabama or Oklahoma, but Wyoming. And also um, he was a physical freak. Like <laughs> He tested off the charts and not just that, but in terms of height and weight, everything where, you know, hurts a little bit shorter um, and also, you know, had issues passing the ball in college. It wasn't like he wasn't like thought of as this extremely raw prospect that just needed some time. Now, he was very young. I, and I think something that, that 
myself included, people probably didn't give enough weight to is how much he has it right above the shoulders. Like he is exactly, and, and I think all of this was said like in the off season, it was like, if you could just kind of take his mentality and mindset and work ethic and everything and put that in like a more talented body, then you really have something there. Um, but to his credit, I think he's worked extremely hard, maybe even more so like maybe we're talking about, you know, like 99 percentile working hard um, because you're seeing it in the is improvement. Like he's gotten better in a lot of different ways in terms of utilizing different parts of the field. Um, I, I just, I just think obviously adding AJ Brown helps. So certainly the support system, he is one of the best offensive lines in the league. Um, but certainly Jalen Hurts deserves a lot of credit as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of people like to call him or think of him as like a dual threat because of his ability to pass and run. He likes to call himself a triple threat because he obviously factors those in, but his mind as well. And I think there's validity to that in terms of he doesn't really put the ball in harm's way. And I think part of that is knowing what's going on out there and knowing where he can, you know, get away with risking things sometimes or, or knowing where to go with the ball and knowing uh, not to, to be overly aggressive and, and make a dumb decision and, and really just, keeping down those turnovers while at the same time not being like a check down charlie not being sam bradford or anything um but being aggressive at times and and honestly there was just an example of this with the touchdown to aj brown his second one in the titans game where um he was so aggressive with it like that was not a really like a read on that was not like one of the the progressions on the play like that was not the the target to get him the ball but jalen hurts has said to his receivers like if I'll be alert on any play because even if it's the play is not designed to get to you, like I, I might throw it up to you. And certainly, again, that's where the AJ Brown factor comes in, having a receiver who can help make the quarterback better. Um, but Hertz really just has improved across the board. Um, he's really young. We probably should mention that as well. So you know that was always possible that he got better from that standpoint. But he is he has certainly uh, surprised me. Yeah, I think he has. Uh, he has. From 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 this perspective, he has unfortunately surprised everyone. <laughs> Let me ask you: We talked about some of the off-season acquisitions, and obviously, one of those, you know, from the Giants' perspective, one of those unfortunately was James Bradbury. And you know, Giants fans can gnash their teeth and complain and whine and moan and groan all they want, but. This was a situation that Joe Shane and Brian Dable were handed when they walked in the door. They had massive salary cap issues. And to move forward, not only to get through 2022, but to set themselves up so that they could have a better long-term future and start to, to go out and pursue more talent they had to cut James Bradbury. They had to move on. There was no other choice. There was no other way to spend that, to save that kind of money. And, and as it is now, they're still pinching pennies to get through the, to get through this season Mm -hmm. under the cap. But unfortunately for the giants, they weren't able to trade Bradbury. He went to the free agent market and he landed in Philly. Obviously probably, the one place that that Giants fans would have would have hoped he wouldn't go is the place that he landed in. And, and the question for you is, if from the numbers, we can see that he's played well. 
Mm-hmm. How much of a difference is he making for Philly? And when you look at the offseason acquisitions, AJ Brown, anyone else that 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 the, the Eagles brought in, where is he in terms of where would you rank him among the the offseason acquisitions that that Philly made? Yeah, I'd put AJ number one just because that was massive and impacts you know the quarterback and the offense and this the magnitude. And also, I just think he's like a better player. Um, you know, I think he's a legitimate top five kind of receiver, at least top 10 in the NFL, um, where Bradbury is also very good. And I think around that conversation, at least this year, I mean, he might have a career year. He already has three interceptions through 12 games. Um, his career high was four last year. There's five games left to play. So he might top a high in that. Uh, scored his first defensive touchdown on a pick six this year. Might set a career high in passes defense. He's at 14. His previous high was 18. Again, five games left to play here. Um, so he's been awesome. Uh, he's only allowing a pass rating of 40, like 40.0 when targeted. Um, that's, that's insane. A, that's a crazy, yeah, it's a crazy number. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, he's been great. I think you can make the case he's been better than Darius Slay. And that's not to like, Put anything down on Darius Slay. I just think you know Slay gets all the attention because he's kind of been there more, has more of the hype. Um, but I think Bradbury has been right with him again, if not slightly better. So um, he's been awesome. I, I guess you could probably say number two. It's just such a big deal, you know, to have Darius Slay. Okay, it's a great corner. You're locked in. He had a great season last year, Pro Bowl season, bounce back after a down 2020 year, and then you can just add another like. Pro Bowl, maybe even like all pro kind of level cornerback on the other side from him. Like that's huge. It's these are the best Eagles cornerbacks like that they've had in a long, long time. Yeah, it's interesting in terms of Bradbury. What I always thought of Bradbury when he was with the Giants was that that he was a good player, maybe a really good player, but I would never put him in the in the shutdown number one. He can lock down anybody, you know, kind of uh, that kind of cornerback. I would never put him in that conversation. I saw Terry McLaurin eat him up too many times. Mm -hmm. I saw him fail to cover guys, you know, number one caliber wide receivers. I saw him struggle with in man-to-man situations too many times. I knew he would be good for Philly in that situation with a good defense around him, I just didn't see, I didn't see this kind of year coming. I didn't think Bradbury was capable of, of the kind of numbers he's putting up this season. I just didn't see it. I think, um, you know, this isn't everything, but I think it's part of the equation too, is that, uh, yes, you know, in Philly, he doesn't necessarily have to cover the number one wide receivers because Darius Slay gets to take those, but you know, the offenses, you know, move guys around. It's not like he's never facing, number one wide receivers and also going back to training camp there's quite a few reps where James Bradbury had to go up against AJ Brown and AJ Brown was pretty unstoppable for the most part in camp but out of Slay and Bradbury I always thought like Bradbury had better reps against him and it would actually win some of those battles so um, I think he's been awesome I think part of it could be that he was really motivated after getting cut especially when he did you know I, I understand uh, the Giants angle to it all but, you know, his angle is that he's pretty frustrated. I'm sure that he couldn't get cut sooner to the start of the league year when teams had more money and more needs to spend with. Um, so I, I think he was motivated to kind of go out there and knowing that this is a contract year for him. And I'm sure he wants to uh, hit the market hard again this offseason. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. 
because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know, Brandon, I'm always curious for an outside perspective on the Giants, on the team that I cover, because you get you get tunneled in on the on the day-to-day with the team and and you get you know how it is. You you get dug in on how you feel about certain things, and 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 sometimes you uh, you forget about the rest of the league and all of that. So I'm always curious for an outside perspective of the Giants. Seven four and one. I think at the beginning of the season, nobody would have seen that coming. A little bit like uh, like Philly fans would have thought. You know, 11 wins might be a great season. Mm. I think at the beginning of the year, Giants fans might have signed up for seven or eight or yep. nine wins as a sign of progress. And, you know, now obviously, rightly or wrongly, expectations have, have risen a little bit. Just what is what is your perspective on, you know, from, from the outside? And you, you obviously haven't paid attention to them on a day-to-day basis, but just the outside feeling on where you think the Giants are. Well, that's not true. I, I go to Big Blue View every day. I do, because I, I put I put your, your you know your articles in our, our link roundup. But certainly, yeah, not, not I haven't seen every single Giants game. But um, from the outside looking in, I think so they were seven and two before they played Houston in the Lions, right? Or they were six and one at one point, and then six and then then lost to Seattle. So six and two okay. before the bye. Seven and two. Yes. Yeah, so Houston would have been seven and two. Okay. Right? Okay. So I remember around that time I'm like, it just feels to me, I, I said to uh uh RJ Ochoa on the NFC's mixtape that I was like, the Giants are going to lose either this Texans game or this Lions game. I just they're, they're due for a loss. I didn't think it was because they were bad. I just think they had been playing a little bit above their heads. And you look at you know point differential and DVOA and things like that, and they weren't like you know in the top ten. They weren't worth where these other teams that have a lot of wins. They're mm-hmm. the, the same similar records were uh, a lot of these one score games. So I didn't think they were you know truly among the NFL's elite. So they're like, they're due for some losses here. They're going to probably take some kind of step back. And they did, so I wasn't shocked at the time. Um, I, I think what I want to give the Giants credit for, certainly, I mean, what they're, what Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, what they're getting like production-wise offensively out of the very limited and injured talent they have on the offensive side of the ball, I think that's been very impressive. I think the way that Daniel Jones has gone from being like a turnover machine for so early in his career to not really doing that anymore. I think that's very impressive. Um, And I think that speaks to a bigger thing about what's different about this version of the Giants than 
the Giants of many seasons past now where they don't really beat themselves as much anymore. They used to do that a lot. <laughs> I, used to, I was very right. What I, yeah, I, I, I think, I think you make a good point. I think you, the Giants, you have to beat the Giants now. Right. Yes. Yeah. You can't just hang around and it's all right. Like they're going to make a mistake. We'll capitalize at some point. It's like, no, like they're probably, um, they're going to hang in. You're going to make it tough. Um, they're not going to scare you. They're not going to, you know, like blow you out of the water, but they're going to hang around. Um, so I think that's the difference this year. Obviously, earlier in the season, I think Saquon was, you know, his success, which was certainly talk about things that were unexpected from my end. I thought that was very unexpected for him to bounce back like that. Now, I think he's tailed off a little bit more recently as they kind of got on the slide. And I'm sure, you know, you can probably offer better perspective as to why that's happened. But I think that's a big deal. Yeah, I think that what I have said and and you know, Big Blue View readers and listeners have heard me say this before, have read this from me before. The Giants are what they are. They have a very narrow path. Mm-hmm. They have a certain way that they have to play, a certain way that games have to go. And through the first seven games, they were able to control that for the most part. Their path is run the football, control the clock, control the pace of the game, pass the ball on their terms when they want to pass it, how they want to pass it, use Daniel Jones legs, you know, keep it, a, keep it a, a fairly low scoring game and more or less see what happens in the fourth quarter, see which team makes the mistake in the fourth quarter that, that ends up, you know, turning, turning the game. And, and as they've had injuries, on the offensive line as they've had attrition injuries at wide receiver, Wandale Robinson, Sterling Shepard, you know, as Kenny Galladay has become more and more and more of an invisible man um, there, it's become harder and harder for them to play offense. And, you know, and that's, I think that's a big part of why they've gone one, three and one. So, yeah. So that, that for me is it. I think if you, if you get the Giants into a game where they have to throw 35 or 40 times, that is not their path. They just don't have the wide receivers. They don't have the 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 offensive line to to be able to do that yet. Especially so, with how injured they are too. I mean, just yeah, that that has been, and and people don't really want to look at that. But through the first seven games of the season, when they were six and one, they started the same offensive line in all seven games. Since that time, they've started a different offensive line in each game that they've played, and that's a that's a that's a tough way to uh, that's a tough way to move the football, tough way to 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 maintain a running game. But back to the Eagles a little bit here. I'm going to to put you on the spot a little bit. Mm. When you look at this Eagles team, what I'm going to ask you to do is offer Gi- offer Giants fans a little bit of hope here. Right. What's the Achilles heel? What is the way, not necessarily to beat this team, but what is the way to, to give yourself an opportunity to get to the middle of the fourth quarter when it's, you know, one crazy bounce can make the difference in a game? What what's the path to get there? I think it's easier said than done, clearly, but I do think there is a path. And 
the commanders really executed that. And that was to play ball control offense where they consistently, it's funny because there's a lot of talk about the Eagles run defense struggling in that game. And you look at the box score and the commanders only had like, I don't know, 3.3 yards per carry. So you wouldn't say like, Oh, the Eagles run defense is bad looking at that. But the problem was the Eagles weren't creating negative plays in the run game. And the commanders were consistently getting like three yards, three yards. Okay. Now it's third and four. So they kept getting to third and manageable, third and short, and they kept converting. And now I think that's tough to do time and time again throughout the game like the commanders did, uh, which they were like, I don't know, like 10 for 11 at some point in the first half. Like they were, it was kind of an insane clip, probably not sustainable, but it's not also impossible to do. So um, the Eagles run defense has certainly tightened up, I think, a bit. I mean, they're coming off a really good game of shutting down Derrick Henry, who's pretty good. Um, that being said, they kind of did allow A.J. Dillon to kind of run through them when they played the Packers uh, in a small sample size. So it's not like uh, something that's totally necessarily been solved, and, and it's not like they can't get exposed when it comes to their run defense. Uh, but certainly, you know, if I'm going up against the Eagles, especially if I'm a lesser team, like a team that, you know, is going into the game as an underdog, I'm not like, you know, the, the I don't think this formula is really <laughs> applies to like the Bills or the Chiefs or whoever you want to say, the Cowboys. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're those teams, you want to air it out and and all that but um if you're you know a team that is entering the the game as an underdog like the commanders were i think you want to shorten uh the amount of opportunities that the Eagles are going to get and you do that by staying on the field putting together long drives which in theory is what jonathan gannon the eagles defensive coordinator wants to make other teams do because he feels like if you make it those teams go on uh those long drives there's going to be a mistake somewhere there's going to be a turnover to be a penalty that sets them behind the chain behind a schedule and then they can take advantage of that um but that strategy didn't work against the commanders and i think it was very frustrating to see because i felt like okay taylor heineke like specifically what is he good at he's probably good at more operating towards the line of scrimmage and throwing short passes as opposed to he doesn't have the best arm in the world so maybe you should have challenged him a bit more and made him try to actually air it out and go for the big play um so uh, it, it worked in that matchup and even then, the commanders got some like lucky, fortunate events in terms of there was a ball that went down to A.J. Brown and it just kind of wrestled between him and the commander's safety. And there was another big play where Jalen Hurts completed a deep pass to Quez Watkins. And if he doesn't really go to the ground for no reason and then get up and then immediately get stripped. So like some of, there was some bad luck in there. Um, but uh, I think the ball control offense is the big thing. That, you know, coincidentally, as we were talking about earlier, that is the way that the Giants want to play. As much as Brian Dable comes from an offensive background and Mike Kafka does, and and they understand what wide open, creative offensive football looks like, the Giants just don't have the people to do that right now. And that sort of ball control, shorten the game, control the clock is the is the way that the Giants want to do things. I, I did have to say, you did have to go and mention Taylor Heineke. <laughs> the, in that tie game the other day, in that tie game the other day, Taylor Heineke spent the entire second half trying to gift the Giants the football. I, I watched the All-22 earlier this week, and I watched four passes that he threw in the second half that that had an opportunity to be game-changing interceptions and i think the giants the giants couldn't handle two of them 
One of them was a, a juggling diving kind of thing where it would have been a great interception. And another one was, you know, that defensive back just needed to be two inches taller, <laughs> you know, because the ball went right over his head, right over his outstretched arms. But, but Heineke does his best to keep you in games. But, but anyway, um, I do think that's the path. Although I think, you know, you talk about running the ball, ball control, it, it sort of helps when you can go out and pick up Linval Joseph and Nanamakin Sue in the middle of the season. Sure. And getting Jordan Davis back from injured reserve as a big deal, too. He only played six snaps against the Titans, kind of still being eased back in. Um, yeah. It's just not even about those players, though. Like, you know, mm-hmm. having them, I mean, that's the obvious thing to think about. It's the impact that being able to trust those guys, like Fletcher Cox is better now because he doesn't have to play. He was playing like 70 snaps a game there after Jordan Davis got hurt, and he's just not built to handle that anymore. You play him, get a snap count down, and he can be real effective in those limited snaps. So I think that's another big part that kind of gets uh, underlooked. Yeah, this is a little bit where the Giants are in some ways. They have Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence at those two defensive tackle spots, and and I would argue that that as a duo, they're as good as anybody. Mm-hmm. But the two of them are playing 85 to 90 percent of the defensive yeah. snaps. And that's just hard. That's just really hard to do on a week to week basis and, and to be your best all throughout a game. And that's the Giants just haven't with the new regime that they've got. They just haven't had time to build that depth yet. So hopefully, hopefully they'll get there. But hey, before I let you go. Before I let you go, we're not going to do the game prediction thing. I sort of asked you about the Achilles heel. I know what you're going to say. I mean, I mean, shoot, I'm picking the Eagles. Hmm. You know, I, I, big blue view, big blue view readers, big blue view readers will hate me. But I think as I, as I messaged you, I think if I was putting money on this game, and I'm not, but if I was putting money on this game, I would take the Eagles. I would take the. I would take the Eagles to cover the spread too. Wow! I, I just would at seven points. I would take the Eagles to cover the spread because I think that if the Eagles, if honestly, if the Eagles can put up 30, 30, 34, the Giants haven't visited the thirty point mark since the fourth or fifth game of the twenty twenty season. Oh my gosh. They haven't visited it. You know, it, it's like another lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. It's a it you know it was like the third or fourth game of the Joe Judge era. They wow. and they they visited it and they just they hadn't done it in a couple of years before that. Then they visited it and decided they didn't like it and they haven't been there again. <laughs> so so if you get to thirty, you've got a good chance of covering that seven that seven points. But what I did want to ask you, mm-hmm. your Eagles are sitting on the sideline of the of the Odell Beckham world tour (laughs) trying, you know, watching where he's, where he's going to end up. What's your take on this whole mess with, with Beckham? Where should he go? Should anybody sign him at this Mm -hmm. point? Should teams just wait until next year when they know he's going to be healthy? I mean, is he even worth all this aggravation at this point? I'm just, I'm curious what your, what your thought on it is. I mean, definitely not in terms of at least like if we're talking about, a player 
coming off an ACL injury in mid-February who only really averaged, what, like 13 yards per reception last year. Um, <laughs> I know the name is big, but, you know, this isn't Jerry Rice we're talking about here. Like Some of the hype is a, it's a little much. Uh, and it's not, it's not the Odell Beckham that Giants fans remember. Right. But- I mean, I'm sure he can still contribute um, if he's healthy, but that's a big question mark. And, you know, I, I don't know what, what this report is about Mike Florio saying to watch the Eagles. It's interesting. You know, it, I, I don't think it's coming out of nowhere. It's coming from somewhere. Is it leverage to kind of you know, maybe convince the Cowboys to offer him a contract? Because it's like, hey, if you don't sign uh, Odell, then he's going to go to Philly. Uh, it's it's tough right now to imagine how he fits into the Eagles because – they have Devonte Smith. They have AJ Brown. Those are two number like one number one wide receivers. Uh, Quez Watkins has been solid. Um, he's banged up with a shoulder, but he was limited in practice today. I think he'll still be able to play against the Giants. Then they have Zach Pascal, and it's like, is Odell Beckham better than Zach Pascal? Of course, yes, he is. But it's not just about who's better. It's not Madden. Like Zach Pascal is a blocking receiver. He's willing to do that role, and he also plays on special teams. I don't think you're getting Odell Beckham Jr. to play on special teams. Um, so, you know, you have to think about role. And even from Odell Beckham Jr. standpoint, like once Dallas Goddard gets healthy, which is he's, he might come back as soon as next week. I mean, the Eagles have a clear top three in targets in terms of A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. So, you know, he's number four at best at that point. So I really don't fully understand <laughs> how that fits in. I only understand it from a standpoint of, I mean, you've seen Howie Roseman be aggressive here. You know, he went out and got Robert Quinn, and that's really not working out. He just went an IR. But still, he made that move. He signed Sue and Linval Joseph. I mean, that was crazy. I mean, they signed Linval Joseph. It's like, all right, that makes sense. They need a run-stopping defensive tackle. But then they signed Sue as well. It's like, geez, he's really going for it here, in addition to trading for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Bradbury and AJ and all the rest. So um, he's really going for it. So I wouldn't be surprised from that standpoint. Um, but we'll see. But, you know, he- Odell can go to Dallas, and then we can both hate the guy. He would be very, especially <laughs> rude, be much easier, even easier to root against him. Yeah, if he went there. All right. Hey, I appreciate the time. Always, uh, always good to catch up. Just uh, you know, message, message uh, Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni to be nice to the Giants this weekend, will you? You know. You can go win the game, but just don't beat us up too bad. We have, in all honesty probably a more important game coming up the following weekend against oh, yeah. the uh, against the commanders so who, bizarre two straight games for them against the giants the buy in between and i don't even mind i don't even mind playing them twice in 3 weeks that's mm-hmm. they try to jam all the division games in at the end of the year i get that but but for the commanders to have a buy in between mm-hmm. gives them basically 3 solid weeks to focus on one team yeah, and it's a home game too. And it's a home game. One, so, and uh, yeah, so I so that's that's big time advantage for for Washington, but uh, but still, it is Taylor Heineke. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Eagles might give the Giants some help uh, potentially in Week 18 when they play in Philly, and who knows, you know, what the Eagles will will or won't be playing for at that well, point. We, you know, we, we can we can cross that bridge when we get to it, obviously. Right. But looking down the road, you're right because week 18, if that game is meaningful for the Giants to get to the playoffs, mm-hmm. the reality of it is the Eagles can clinch this week. They're going to clinch 
either Sunday with a win mm-hmm. or they're going to clinch a playoff berth the week after that. Mm-hmm. The rest of the season for them is really about is really about staying sharp, staying ready, trying to get through it without major injuries, you know, and, and being ready for the playoffs. So mm-hmm. maybe just maybe you get to week 18 and 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 you're playing a Philly team that's that's just trying to cruise through the game right. and not playing Jalen Hurts and mm-hmm. and not playing some of the some of the veteran guys and you know we we can hope for that but uh we'll 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 see we'll see what happens you know the Eagles you, you guys you guys kind of owe us one after <laughs> after what Doug Peterson did a couple of years ago oh, with the I... you know with the whole third string quarterback debacle hey. That worked out well, I have to say, for the Eagles in the end. I mean, they it, got Devontae it, Smith because of him. That, yeah, I'll, I'll it, take and it, yeah, I'll take it, that. It did, and and the truth of the matter is, yeah, it would have been nice to be NFC's champions. It would have been nice to play in a playoff game, but the Giants did win six games. Hmm. So, right. you know, they did win six games, so it wasn't really much of an accomplishment either way. Right. Anyway, appreciate the time, Brandon. We'll catch up again in a few weeks. Uh, Enjoy the game on Sunday. Giants fans, please uh, stay safe out there. Take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.